Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. What is the biggest choice that you have ever made? If you think back like to like choices that you've made throughout your life, I want you to think like what were some of the biggest ones that you have ever made? Like ones that you would think is very, very important and crucial in your life. Like when you think through those decisions, like some of the things that jump out to me are like, my career, like what I was going to study, where I went to school, you know, should I get married? Like those are like big decisions and choices that, that we get to make. Um, but I was thinking like even bigger, like we love choices, don't we? We just love choices. And I was even thinking back, I always like to think like when I was younger, what does it look like to like make choices? And I remember that I always loved, 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 my, my mom would give me the opportunity to be able to pick out cereal, like in the cereal aisle. And I don't know if anybody else had that opportunity. Like I would go to the grocery and then I was just like set free in the, in the cereal aisle. And I mean, I loved them all. I loved the fruity, the fruity pebbles, the cocoa puffs, all the, all the different, even like the raisin brands. I mean, I liked them all, but really what I liked was the toy that came inside. I mean, that was like what decided what cereal I could get. But I love to be able to choose and we love those choices. I was thinking about when I got just a little bit older, there was a, uh, a, a series of books that I just loved, and uh, I'd totally forgotten about these, and they were called Choose Your Own Adventure Books, and I don't know if anybody else had those when they were younger, um, and I remember that I would read those, and they were, there was such a, like, it was like I was living the book, because you would go in, and you would read a page, and then it would give you at the bottom, it would give you a little section where you could choose like what to do, like should I go through the door, should I not go through the door, should I go down the hall, and like you would have to make that decision, and I don't know, it just made it like more tense, like more was at stake, and then you, I would turn the page and go, and like the problem is like the, this book could be like very short, because like you would get, and then you'd walk through, and then it'd be like, you die, and then like, and so then what I would do is I keep my thumb on the page before, so I'd be like, okay, that didn't work, so then I'd go back, and then I was able to change my choice that I wanted to make, That was the difference. Like, it was a choice that I could go back and make a different choice. But I love those books very much. And I was thinking about even older, like, I love Blockbuster. Like, has anybody missed Blockbuster? Because I used to be able to go, like, I would take my children on Friday night, and we would go in, and we'd, like, look at all the stuff on the wall, and we would be, like, so many choices. And it's just not the same now, you know, when you're scrolling on TV. But we love choices, don't we? Um, God gives us the opportunity to make choices. And when you think about decisions in our lives and what they look like, um, sometimes we make bad choices or we make bad decisions. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about God's discipline in our life and what that looks like. And even when we make bad choices, God can use our choices and help us get on the right track in what we are doing. That, that's guidance or correction that he gives us. Uh, But think about a decision like two separate paths, like you either go this way or you go this way, and I have to make a choice between the two. Now, in 1996, I remember in my life at that time, I had just given my life to Christ, and I was a brand new Christian. Up until then, I had gone to school, I'd studied graphic design, and one of the things that I loved to do was acting, and that became a passion of mine while I was at school, and actually my grades started to go like down because I was doing that instead of studying And uh, so at that time, 1996, um, 
I had a friend of mine who offered me, he said, you know what, I'm moving to LA and I have a place to stay already. If you want to move with me and you can be my roommate there, and, and I thought, wow, like, so all these, all this stuff that I had thought up until then, like this worldly, like, yes, I would love to go to Hollywood. I would love to try out, like, audition for movies. Like, to me, I was just wide-eyed at that. And I really, I, I prayed about that. And I decided, no, I wasn't going to go. I decided to stay here. Now, I look at that decision. That was a choice that I made. And I look back at that. I'm like, I'm so thankful of the choice that I made back then. But you think about choices in life, like almost like a marker there for me of I could go this way or I could go this way. Now, as we come to Hebrews today, um, there is a faith choice that we're looking at. Now, think about your faith. Now, have you made a choice? Because there is either Jesus or there is not Jesus. There's only two choices here. And as we go into chapter 12 of Hebrews, we see that the author is talking about a clear comparison here. Now, he's talking about two choices between two mountains, Um, a choice that actually we all must make as we dive into this and we continue to see what that means. Um, So just to review a little bit, so if you're here today, we are... We are coming towards the end of Hebrews. It has been a long, wonderful road, and, and we have gotten great response and people saying, man, we have learned a lot as we've gone through Hebrews. But we are approaching, we are in the last two chapters of the book. Um, just to kind of, if you are here, I just want to give you some, some backstory just a little bit. So this book, the, the author is unknown. We don't know who he is who wrote it. Some think it's Paul, but it's a mystery to us who, who wrote it. So we don't want to focus on who wrote it, but we want to focus on the message that he gives us, and that is the supremacy of Jesus and who he is. Um, I believe that God wants to focus on that, on the text, and focus on Jesus. Um, Now, to understand the context, we also should understand when we look at a book, who it is written to. So we don't know specifically, like some of the books that we go to are written to a specific church. This is written to a group of people. Now, we know this group of people are Jewish Christians who are kind of slipping back into their old ways. They're about rituals and traditions, and they're not focusing on the supremacy of Christ and who he is, and that is why this letter is written. Um. The author is showing that Jesus is superior, that what? He is the great high priest that we've seen so many times as we've gone through this. So today the author goes back into Old Testament scripture in Exodus uh, to remind them about who God is and show them a clear picture with the help of two mountains. Uh, Now without the Old Testament knowledge, you may have read through this or maybe you read through it the first time today and you're like, well, I wouldn't have known that. Like, in the first part, it doesn't even talk about a mountain. He just starts talking about all these different things. Well, with the context and what we're going to learn today, we'll see why he references this mountain. So, uh, now, as we began this chapter, just to, just to remind you just a little bit, there was beautiful imagery about a race and how the author tied this to their faith, uh, that they're going to have to endure and points uh, to the great heroes in the Old Testament. Once again, pointing back to the Old Testament, Why? Because this is the scripture and the stories that they would know, and he's using those to remind them. So these heroes in the Old Testament who endured by faith, then he points to Jesus. So uh, Hebrews 12.2 says, looking to Jesus, right, that is the point, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now this 
theme here that we see in verse 2 goes all the way through this chapter. So last week, our big idea was God instructs us how to run the race. And our next step, when we wrapped up, was run for the joy set before you. Uh, Once again, coming back to that race theme that the author has put there before us. Um, So now we come to a crescendo um, of what he is talking about. The author is explaining the stark contrast between two separate things, two separate paths. Um, This is the final warning that he has given to these people. In this final warning, that's why he is hitting it. This is a stark contrast that he is laying out. So the big warning represents, is represented by two mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. And you may be sitting here being like, I don't know anything about either of those mountains. Well, that's what my job is. <laughs> so we are going to learn about that as we go through today. So what's our big idea? Our big idea is this. Following Jesus requires a choice. Following Jesus requires a choice. Uh, now, as we look at this passage, it is a choice between two mountains. Now, with a stark, a very stark contrast. So let's start. We're going to start in verses 18 and 19. So let's read those together. Starting at verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. All right, so we start off, and this is like a terrifying scene that he is already reminding them of. And there's no mention of a mountain here, so if you didn't know by the by the references here, what, they're, what he's actually referring to. So he, this is a reference to Mount Sinai. Um, he says there at the beginning, for you have not come to what may be touched. Now that's significant that he says that. Why? Because he's talking about a physical mountain. He's talking about something that actually can be touched. Now what's interesting about that is they weren't allowed to touch it. But he is making the reference that it was a physical mountain that may be touched. Uh, now, as you go through the Bible, there are lots of references to mountains, and, and what does the, the idea of a mountain kind of conjure up in you? What do you think of when you think of a mountain? Uh, you think of God's majesty. I mean, have you ever stood in front of a mountain and just felt so small because you see the power and, and just how beautiful and big it is? And even I, I know that, you know, we live here in the flatlands. Like, there is nothing here. But if you're driving south and you start going and you're on 75 and you, all of a sudden you're driving, you're weaving through these giant mountains, and it is beautiful. And they take your breath away. Why? Because of the majesty and how big and beautiful that they are. Um, Psalm 95, verses 3 and 4 says this, For the Lord is a great God and is a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. To remember that it's it's his creation. And there's there's a reason that we see so many mountains in Scripture. You think about uh, the Sermon on the Mount. You think of Jesus' transfiguration and other things like that. The commissioning of the disciples. All that was taking place on a mountain. And there's many other examples. But I think the size of mountains can what? Overwhelm us when we see him and when we stand before him. Uh, So Mount Sinai was used specifically, and this is uh, to help you to understand if you don't know anything about Mount Sinai, was used for God's purpose to establish a relationship with the Israelites. 
all right? I, had, I got the pleasure of actually doing a paper on this. So I was excited when I got to this part in Scripture. I'm like, oh, I've studied this, actually. So as going through this, this is actually the covenant, Mount Sinai, is where uh, God made a covenant with his people. And this is where God gave the law to Moses, um, as we know, the, the Ten Commandments written on stone. Um, so what do we see here about this mountain? So the first thing that we can learn here is Mount Sinai brought the law. Mount Sinai brought the law. Um, so let's go to Exodus and kind of dive in here just a little bit to kind of see what this picture looked like. Because the author there references all these things like a blazing fire, darkness and gloom, a tempest, and all these things you're like, whoa. So let's, let's see what it says in Exodus and what this kind of looked, at, looked like. So Exodus 19, starting in verse 16, and we're going to read through uh, verse 22. So if you want to turn there, um, Exodus 19, starting in verse 16. Now, I will say this. There's a lot in Exodus and even Deuteronomy as you are going through these different things as we go through this. That is just beautiful that, that you see uh, the Israelites and their journey and what happened. And um, so I would encourage you to read through or study Exodus if you can. So Exodus 19, verse 16. It says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. All right? We see there something that is very, very, you know, stark when we see it, that if you can think about it and imagine what that was like and you picture the majesty of a mountain and what that is, and then... And all this, the thunder and the lightning, which we know whether if you are in a thunderstorm, what that feels like. It can be very overwhelming. But then there's a very loud trumpet blast. And when I think about that, I always think about like a, um, like a tornado siren, you know, a siren that you hear that kind of goes off that you hear that is loud. Um, let's go on, verse 17. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now, what a beautiful scene that we see here. It is amazing and terrifying interaction that we get to see that God is doing here. Um, now, actually, Moses, if you, know, if you follow the whole story of what Moses did, Moses actually ascends eight different times going up Mount Sinai and back. And he works as like a, it's the mediator between the Israelites and God. Um, but if you think about the, what is going on here and the intensity of the scene, and just the overwhelming power of what's going on. You know, this past week, I, I saw a video of the hurricane that came through, Hurricane Ian in Florida. And my wife showed it to me, and it was a time-lapse footage of a house. It was like straight down the street, and there was a house there. And the sound was on this, the camera, so it was time-lapse, and you could just hear it. It was just like the wind was just pounding and pounding. And even just watching this video was like so intense, and then you watched... The waters come, and what happened? This house that was sitting there lifted up and just, like, moved, and it just, like, took it out of, the, out of the range of the camera. And that blew my mind, that kind of power. That is the kind of power that they are experiencing here that is overwhelming them. 
Deuteronomy 5.22 says this, These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. So that's Moses talking. And what is he talking about? The tablets of stone. That is the law. That is uh, the Ten Commandments. So Mount Sinai was the place where God chose to establish his covenant, the old covenant with his people. So Mount Sinai brought the law. They could not keep the law, but God in his majesty gave the law so they could have it. So let's go on to the next verse. Verse 20. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Now we look at this, and just to add to the terrifying scene of what is going on, then you can't touch the mountain, or even if a beast touches it, it must be killed or stoned. Um, It says, for they could not endure the order, and it was too much for them. So why? If the mountain was touched, it meant death. And we look at that, and we can't even understand what that would feel like to be in that situation. So what do we see about this mountain here? Mount Sinai, what, brought death. Mount Sinai brought death. Now, why death? Well, because of their unrighteousness, because of their sin, they could not touch. They couldn't be in the presence or touch holy ground. Now, this was instructions that I'm getting ready to read here from Exodus that God gave them to be near to him in his presence. So Exodus 19, uh, 12, and 13 says, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. (laughs) Isn't that terrifying to think about what that would be like? Now, do you see the weight of this? And can you even imagine what it would be like to be there? There was a separation because of what? God's holiness and who he was and who he is. The mountain was holy ground, and they were not allowed to touch it because of their sin. Now, when you read this, I want you to also examine where you're at because you see that they have a reverence and a a fear for God. And I would, I would ask you, because when I read this, I wonder, do I have a reverence and a fear of who God is? And I think a lot of times I don't. A lot of times I just go about my day and I don't think about it. But when I come to text and scripture like this, all of a sudden I'm like, wow, God is all powerful. And to see their reaction helps me to see the reverence that they should show and the reverence that we should have to him. All right, let's go, let's go on to the next verse. Verse 21. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. I tremble with fear. God's holiness brought them fear. So what do we see here about the mountain? Mount Sinai brought fear. So we saw it brought death, and it brought fear because of the death, Right? So we don't see, if you look in Scripture, there's no actual reference to Moses saying, I tremble with fear. Um, But what we can see from the text, 
um, we can first see that uh, the people, when they are afraid, Moses comforts them. So Exodus 20, 18 through 21 says this. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you, what, may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So you see, there was a a purpose that God had in this fear. The fear was instilled to show what his majesty and who he was. So what? They would not sin. So Moses actually refers to his own fear um, in Deuteronomy. Now, this is a a fear that he talks about after uh, God is angry with the Israelites for worshiping a golden calf. Now, if you know that story, so and it's so unbelievable to us to, to go through this and to read this, that after they witness all this power and majesty of God, Moses goes up the mountain, and Aaron leads uh, them to bring all their gold together, and what they melt it down, and they decide to make a golden calf, and then they worship it. And we look at that, and we're like, how? Why would they, how could they even do that? So, God was very angry with this and what they did and how they worshiped someone's uh, false idol. And a couple, two weeks ago, I talked about um, discipline. I talked about God's anger. And I talked about um, here we see God's righteous anger. We see that they made a mistake and he was angry. But yes, God can be angry and God has righteous anger. So in Deuteronomy 9.19, it says, For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you. So Moses talking about his, his own fear, so that he was ready to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. So that was uh, where he mediated. This was his idea of Moses being a mediator between them. So you look at this and you're like, well, how could the... How could the people do this after witnessing God's power on Mount Sinai? It's strange. Everything that they've been through, the parting of the Red Sea, everything. And yet here are these people that are like, well, you know what? Let's make a calf, and we're going we're gonna to worship this golden calf. And we, think, we look at that as like it's strange. But I would ask you, how often do we turn our focus away from Christ? How often does our heart drift away and we start worshiping other things in our life? It happens to each and every one of us if we're not focused on him and him being number one in our lives. So what do you worship? What things become more important to you? Even, I would say, even what's easier. Because to them, what it was easier to worship the golden calf. So I would ask you in your life, what is easier? Sometimes, Following God in the, in the path that he has given you is not easy. So we turn our attention away and we start focusing on other things, money, relationships, different things in our life. So I would look at this as an example. We see what the Israelites did here. And even though we're like, how could they? I would examine your own heart and say, I think we all could, each and every one of us. So Mount Sinai brought fear. So what do we see next? 
So now we see the author switches from the old covenant, so that's the first choice, or now the second choice, the new covenant. So we were talking about Mount Sinai, so let's see what we go on here. So verse 22 starts with but. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering. Now this is a reminder to them of what? Of a new mountain, Mount Zion, what? That can't be touched. That can't be touched. First one was a physical mountain. This one is, there's a lot involved when you talk about Mount Zion that we will break down and we talk and go through this. Um, so what do we see about this mountain? The first thing that we can learn here, Mount Zion represents heaven. Mount Zion represents heaven. It says that, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So we're talking about heaven here that he is referring to. Now, the use of Mount Zion is, is throughout the Bible. And if you go back, first David conquers, King David conquers and acquires the city of Jerusalem. And that is where we kind of see where Zion is kind of first mentioned. In 2 Samuel 5, 6, and 7, it says, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking, David cannot come in here. Verse 7, Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. So Mount Zion is referring to Jerusalem. So this is where we see it starts, right? Now, when we look at what the author is talking here, he's not talking about this. He's talking about the heavenly Jerusalem. So Psalm 2, 6 says this, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So as we continue to talk about Zion and what it looks like in Scripture, we see that it kind of builds out. It's not this city that he conquered, but it becomes a representation of, uh, of what is to come. Solomon builds the temple. An additional meeting comes about of Zion. It's a heavenly Jerusalem. And we see this through the book of Revelation. Now, one of the things uh, I requested that we did, Is He Worthy Today? Because I love that song. Because it puts in my mind a beautiful picture of who Jesus is and the picture in Revelation of worshiping him and who he is. And as we go here today, we're going to see in Revelation uh, pieces and parts of what Mount Zion actually is. So we're going to start in Revelation 14, uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sounds of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. Now, as we look at this, and to understand what Revelation is, Revelation is what was given to John as he wrote this, uh, a vision of what was, is what to come. So when we study Revelation, this is a beautiful picture of what is to come. Now, there's lots of ideas when you go into that, a different, like, when stuff happens and what it means. But we can take today and look at this beautiful picture of New Jerusalem and Mount Zion and what it looks like. But we see here just what a stark contrast. Now, the scripture that he is referring to, it says the scripture talks about innumerable angels and festal gathering. 
Now we look at that. What is that? What does that mean? That is a celebration that is happening. What a contrast that we see between these two mountains. Which mountain would you rather be at? I think the answer is obvious. Now, when we think about heaven, probably one of the things that we don't think enough about, and um, I read this this week that uh, in, one of, in one of my commentaries, somebody said, why don't we think about heaven more? And a lot of times it's because we're comfortable where we are. It's like we're enjoying where we are so much that we don't even think about like what's to come and how beautiful it's going to be. And I'll confess when I was younger, my view of heaven was, well, I didn't seemed boring to me, right? Because you think about just like the pictures you see as a kid, it's like somebody sitting on a cloud. It's like, well, what are you, that's no fun. Like, why is that going to be fun? But as you dig in and you realize what heaven is and the worship, like even being in here and worshiping with you guys today, my heart was full. Can you even imagine what it would be worshiping with not only us here, but with all of the old saints and all of the heroes that came before us. And we are worshiping and standing in God's presence. That is going to be unbelievable. And you know what? And then I think about him. I'm a kid. I'm like, well, that's going to be boring. Well, no, it's not going to be boring at all. We just have to have a right perspective of what it's going to be. There's so much mystery that we can't even understand at this point. But we just have to trust. So do you understand what Zion represents? Mount Zion represents heaven, all right? All right, let's continue to the next verse, verse 23. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. All right, so we are continuing this thought that started in 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, right? And it's talking about, and who else is going to be there? And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. So who is that? Who is the assembly of the firstborn? Well, the firstborn referred to in Scripture is who? It is Jesus. Uh, the firstborn is a, like a birthright in what we are talking about. So the assembly of the firstborn is what? Christ followers. It's, it's believers. It is the body. And it says there, who are enrolled in heaven. And I love the way it says that, who are enrolled in heaven. If you think about a school, like being enrolled in school, what, you have your name's in it, right? They write your name and you're enrolled. So who are enrolled? And then God, the judge of all. And all the spirits of the righteous. You know, we think about the heroes of faith and all the people that are going to be there. So what do we see about this mountain? Mount Zion allows us into God's presence. Mount Zion allows us into God's presence. What an amazing difference and contrast between the two mountains. We get to be in God's presence, not at Mount Sinai. You couldn't even come, you could stand near it, but you couldn't touch it, you couldn't be, they were fearful. We look at the celebration that's going to happen. We get to be in God's presence. Why? Because we are an assembly of the firstborn. If you're a Christ follower here today, you are an assembly of the firstborn. And you are enrolled in heaven. What, a, what an amazing thought. Romans 8, 29 says this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among what? Many brothers. Right? He is the firstborn among many brothers. And we see that, that God foreknew and predestined 
It is an enrollment. Your name is in the Lamb's book of life. If we go into Revelation 21, 27, it says, But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. What a comfort. If you are here today and you are a Christ follower, that should give you comfort and knowing that your name, that you are enrolled. What? There's no question there about where you're going. What a beautiful thing that is. So do you see the contrast? Mount Sinai, fear and death in God's presence. Mount Zion, celebration and rejoicing in God's presence. He allows us into God's presence. So how are we allowed into God's presence? Well, let's go on to the next verse. Verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So when we look at this, that it says, and to Jesus, the mediator of what? The new covenant. That's what we're talking about. If you contrast the old covenant and the law, he is the new covenant, and he is the mediator. So what do we see about this mountain? Mount Zion shows us what? Our mediator. Mount Zion shows us our mediator. Our mediator, Jesus, of the new covenant. I, I came across this week, I thought this was good. The old covenant is what? Earning and deserving. The old covenant is earning and deserving. You're trying to work your way, right, and do things just right so you can be good enough, but you can't be good enough. So it's earning and deserving. And what do you deserve? You don't deserve Mount Zion. None of us deserve Mount Zion. But what is the new covenant? The new covenant is believing and receiving. Believing in who Jesus is, why he came, that he is the perfect sacrifice, and what? Surrendering to him and receiving what? Grace. We get grace. We have seen this all through uh, the book of Hebrews. And just to remind you a couple places, Hebrews 8.6 talks about the new covenant. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on what? Better promises. Talking about he is the new covenant and what is it's all enacted on better promises. Hebrews 9.15, another reminder that the author has gone through here and we have talked about. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called, I would even say enrolled there, who, those who are called, may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. If you look at what the author is saying there, he's spelling it out again and again. Since a death has occurred that has redeemed them, the transgressions, the sin of the old covenant a death had to occur, what? To redeem them. Jesus is the new covenant. So Mount Zion represents Jesus as our mediator. This is what the author's message has always been as we have gone through. So Colossians 1, 18 through 20. I love, I love this text when we talk about who Jesus is. Paul is writing this and puts it into beautiful perspective on who Jesus is. <clears throat> Starting in verse 8. 
And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. It is the blood of the cross that gives us peace. He is the one. He is the new covenant. Abel's blood, which it refers to here, what? Speaks of his faith and his sacrifice and what he did, but talking about that Abel's blood cries out. Abel being murdered by his brother says justice must be satisfied. That's what Abel's blood says. So what does Jesus' blood say? Justice is satisfied because only he can do it. He is the true sacrifice. That is the gospel. We want to always be clear about the gospel and when we talk about Jesus took the punishment. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is our mediator. If you look at Mount Sinai, Moses was actually a picture of who Jesus was to come because he was the mediator between the Israelites and God. But that was a picture pointing to who? Jesus, who is the true mediator. He is the great high priest. So now we go into verse 25. The author gives us the warning. Now this is the warning that he has given them, the final warning that we'll come to in the book. It says this. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Now this, <coughs> excuse me, this is a direct warning in what he is talking about. Right there at the beginning, see that, what? You do not refuse him. That you don't refuse him in what he has done. Why? Because we face judgment if we reject So what do we see about this mountain? Mount Zion, what? Gives us a choice. Mount Zion gives us a choice. The end will come, is what that text is saying. The yet once more. The end will come, so do not refuse him. Now we look at this text here, and it's actually a quote from Haggai. So Haggai uh, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, so we'll read that. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Now, this yet once more refers what? To what's to come. So the yet once more means something's already happened, and yet it'll happen again. So this is talking about uh, the judgment to all, the judgment to all. Now, if we talk about the end times, that's in Revelation, you know, that's eschatology when we look at it and what is to come. And there are so many things as you're studying through Revelation that put the perspective of the glory of God in there. And you actually see, as, as John writes, how punishment is going to come upon the people and on the earth. 
And if you read it, it is terrifying. It will, it will shake you when you read it. Um, and some of that is referred to as angels pouring out bowls and what that looks like in judgment. So in Revelation 21, 9 through 11, it says this. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Now, once again, we see this beautiful imagery here that John spells out for us. But this is after the, the judgment and the wrath that God puts forth. But then you see this beautiful city. As he carried me away to a spirit, to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, and what that looks like. We can escape the wrath. And that is what he's saying here. The judgment is the punishment we deserve. But it's only through Jesus. He is our mediator. All right, let's go on to the last two verses, 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. We see the last two verses end with a therefore. And we look at that, so in light of everything that we just read, therefore, if you are a Christ follower, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom, what, that can't be shaken, that can't be shaken. So we see the let us. So he is now talking to the assumed believers who have, what, made that choice, who have not refused so we should be grateful for what? For a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So what do we see about this mountain? Mount Zion cannot be shaken. It cannot be shaken. And because of that, we should be grateful. So listen to this beautiful picture from Revelation. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Sounds good, doesn't it? It will not be shaken. We will endure. You see, there was a shaking that was first at Mount Sinai. They were terrified, but there is coming a shaking of the heavens and earth. As the final judgment. But Mount Zion cannot be shaken. It says there, so for God is a consuming fire. He comes back to this and showing who God is. Um, and that should give you comfort when you see that. 
for God is a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. You see, God wants you to worship him, not someone else or put anybody above him. That shows that he is a jealous God. But he is a consuming fire. This is a reminder of what? His almighty power and who he is. He is a consuming fire. Depicts holiness. Depicts judgment. So what? So we should have a what? Reverence and awe of him. So we should offer what? Acceptable worship. And that's what, we, what we're doing here. We come together in hopes to have reverence and awe and have acceptable worship as we come and worship him. All right, so in this text, we have seen two separate choices that I hope you have seen a stark contrast between. We saw the Mount Sinai, what, brought the law, brought death and fear, separation from God. Mount Zion represents heaven, celebration, and God's presence. Such a stark contrast there in what they are. Mount Zion is only through our mediator, Jesus. Two separate paths. So what is our next step? Our next step today is choose Mount Zion. Choose Mount Zion. As we look at the two choices, everybody gets to make a choice. Jesus is the new covenant. It is not about works. We cannot keep the law. If you think about it, it's works versus grace. You know, when we talk about, when we talk to people and um, we ask them about their faith, one of the things you say, well, you know, how's your relationship? And people say, yes, I, I have a relationship with God. You know, I pray. And then the, the one question that, that drives it home is, well, would you be in heaven? And usually people are like, I, I hope so. I think so. But if you don't know, because what are they thinking? They're thinking, well, I've done the, the continuation of that thought is, well, I've done good things. I mean, I've been good. So my good outweighed my bad. That's where I'm hoping, hoping to land. And I hope when I die, I'm not, like, committing a sin because that won't be good. Like, this idea of works. But it's not about the works. The law of Mount Sinai works. It's about the new covenant. It's about grace. Mount Zion. So do you think you can be good enough to reach Mount Zion? No. Only through Jesus. Jesus has paid our debt, and we can be part of the assembly. And that is such a beautiful thing. We must be transformed and surrender to him. You have to understand the gospel. And that we, each and every one of us were born into sin, separated from God. And there's only one way. And that is Jesus. He's our mediator. But you've got to surrender. God transforms your heart, makes you a new creation. And then what do you do? You surrender and you live your life for him. That means Lord. So I would ask, is that where you're at today? 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 9 says this. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of his glory which was being brought to an end. So what is it talking about there? What is Paul saying to the church? He's talking about 
the law. He's talking about Mount Sinai. That is what he's talking about. He's talking about the tablets and stone, carved in letters on stone. He said, it came with such glory that the Israelites, what? They couldn't even gaze at Moses' face because his glory was so strong. It says in verse 8, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. That is beautiful. The glory that was there at Mount Sinai that we witnessed that we read about, the law that was given, that was glory. But even how much more glory do we see through Jesus who gives us that righteousness? And then we get to have the Holy Spirit dwell within us. It far exceeds the glory that was in the law. So I asked what, at the beginning of this message, what is the most important choice you've ever had to make? Career, marriage. I'm telling you, this is it. This is the most important choice that you ever have to make. A picture painted clearly by two mountains. You see the contrast of the two mountains. Really understand the great holiness of who God is. Then find overwhelming joy in the grace. Choose Mount Zion. Choose Jesus. He is the mediator of the new covenant. He is the only way. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today overwhelmed. Father, we see your glory and your majesty revealed to us in Scripture. And Father, we want to be, give you reverence and awe in who you are. And Father, forgive us when we go day to day and we do not give you that reverence. We do not remember who you are and your, and your majesty. But help us to live daily acknowledging that in worship. Father, we are so thankful for the new covenant. We're so thankful that you set your son, our savior, to make a way for us to be able to go to Mount Zion, to be in your presence. And Father, what a beautiful thing that is. That is amazing grace that you have given to us that we do not deserve. Not one of us here deserves it. But we are overwhelmed that we get the opportunity to be part of the assembly. Father, I just pray for any person here who has not made that choice and they're thinking that works and how good they will be will be good enough. And Father, we see clearly that that is not it, that we will never be good enough. So we come to you asking for forgiveness and surrendering our lives to you through your son. So Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together, for your word, for this time together in community. We are just blessed by it, and we want to always glorify you in all that we do. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at Have a blessed day.